right. Bear down, Bears fans. It's time for another edition of the Chicago Bears podcast, Bears Banter, powered by Windy City Gridiron and SB Nation. Bill Zimmerman with you. And as promised, here we go. Part two of our Chicago Bears training camp preview with Robert Schmitz. If you missed part one, make sure you go back on the Windy City Gridiron page and check it out. It is a massive episode with a lot of great content. Robert really brought it, gave a lot of strong opinions. And I think the best thing about Robert, fair and objective on the opinions. Not going to sugarcoat things, but not going to sit there and just rip things to shreds. You know, great take on the running back room. It's a solid running back room. David Montgomery is not an elite Jonathan Taylor, Derrick Henry type running back, but he's a solid running back. And when you pair him with Herbert and Evans and Ebner and Blasingame, there's, there's a lot there in the backfield, right? Wide receiver, I like what Robert said about it. The room isn't as bad as people make it out to be, but it's certainly not an elite room. You could tell though, if you checked out part one, offensive line is scary. You know, Warren Sharp just took out, put out his best offensive lines, ranked them one to 32, have the Bears at 32. I know a lot of Bears fans sit there and go, all the disrespect, the disrespect, the disrespect, and I get it. The offensive line could be a little better than people expect if things come together. Tevin Jenkins does look like a second round pick and is a quality player and stays healthy. Cody Whitehair, you know, returns to form, doesn't have a 2021, plays more like he did in 2018, 2019. That's the Cody Whitehair we want to see. You know, uh, Lucas Patrick does prove that he can be an everyday player and not a depth piece like he was more with the Packers, a spot starter depth piece. If that kind of happens and then you get someone like Zach Thomas to surprise at right guard or something, yeah, the offensive line can be pretty good. But if these day three rookies, if none of them are ready to play, which is a distinct possibility because day three rookies don't necessarily just come in and start and play right away and play well. If that happens, if Cody Whitehair continues to fade, if 2021 was not an anomaly but a trend, if Tevin Jenkins can't stay healthy, or the fact that he hasn't been with the ones a lot in OTAs proves to be an issue, these are all things that could make this offensive line not only the worst in the league, but dangerously bad for Justin Fields. And that's what we want to avoid. And that's why we're doing kind of best case, worst case scenario, because You know, you can look at this offensive line and say, if it comes together, it's not going to be an elite offensive line no matter what. But if it's below average, below average is going to be good enough for what this team needs. But the bottom could fall out. That's the kind of stuff that we want to sit here and break down. And now we're going to be looking at the defense. Obviously, this is going to be Eberflus's specialty. And exactly, he's a defensive guy. We're going to see what he can do to help out Eddie Jackson, see if Eddie Jackson can return to the form he had a couple years ago. He's got his top two picks, Brisker and Gordon, in that secondary. How much improved is that secondary going to be? Roquan Smith now proving that he's one of the top five linebackers in the league. Nick Morrow, pretty good you know, pass coverage linebacker there. How well is that tandem going to be? And the defensive line, definitely questions there. Robert Quinn could regress by eight sacks and still have double-digit sacks because he had that many last year. But there's, you know, what is opposite? Can Travis Gibson be an every-down player? Is Muhammad going to be a solid player? And interior, Blackson, Jones, is that going to be enough inside? You know, the, the wrecking balls that we're used to having a few years ago with Hicks and Goldman, 
that is long gone. That is not going to be Jones and Blackson. Is that going to be enough inside for this defense to really be solid? Because if those two guys, if those two guys struggling, if you want to throw the edge guys, if the edge guys aren't creating pressure, I don't care how improved the secondary is, eventually they're going to give up completions. I don't care how good Roquan Smith is. If he's got, if he's got uh, Angelo Blackson in his face because he's getting pushed off the ball, doesn't matter. Roquan Smith isn't going to be effective. So that defensive line is important. So we're going to get into all of that with Robert Schmitz this episode. We've got plenty to do on the defensive side of the ball. And it's coming up next on Bears Banter. This is Bill Zimmerman. We'll be right back. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right, welcome back into the podcast. As promised, part two of our Chicago Bears training camp preview. We're going position group by position group, and we're focusing on best case, worst case, trying to give you both sides of the coin, what we think these position groups and thus the unit as a whole can be. We've done the offense. If you didn't see that, go back on the, the Witty City Green and Iron podcast page. You'll see it right there. Check out the offense. Plenty in-depth analysis. We gave you plenty on the offense oh, yeah. to chew on. Let's give you a little bit on the defense here, Robert. Let's just jump right in with the secondary. Because yes. the secondary was not good last year. We we talked about it. Everyone's seen the freeze frame of Cooper Cup on the Rams game running with three bears 10 yards behind him. That wasn't the only time that happened. Unfortunately, we saw plenty of, you know, Kendall Vildor getting burned and then losing the Ravens game and not making stops against the Steelers and losing opportunities to win games because of mistakes of this secondary. We know where Matt Eberflus is. We know the importance of the secondary in the Eberflus defense. You've talked about it a lot in, in, in your, your football and, and you in your, your videos and, and everything you've done. So let's start with the secondary because the secondary is where they've looked to make the most improvement. They spent two second round picks on a corner and a safety. Eddie Jackson sitting there as kind of a sleeping giant. And maybe we can see if, if Eberflus and I do think we're going to see a better Eddie Jackson than we have the last couple of years, but we've also got a question opposite Jalen Johnson in terms of a rookie with Kyler Gordon. We've got questions in terms of what Jaquan Brisker can be as a rookie. I know a lot of people are high on them being impact players immediately as second round picks. It can happen, but you know, we've all still got questions on nickel. We've got questions in the depth. The secondary is definitely improved, 
Is it improved enough where some people are looking at this as an elite position group? It has the potential to be there, but it also could have a couple issues. Would you agree? I love this secondary for 2023. 2022 <laughs> does not matter to me. So like, you're not going to hear me say a doggone bad word about these kids because you better believe, Bill, that I am happy taking lumps with Jaquan Brisker and Kyler Gordon and Thomas Graham in the slot and whoever else we want to throw in there because them to getting that experience is going to teach them all the things that they need to take into their first. One thing that I heard somebody talk about a while ago is that the, one of the most important things for every single NFL player is what they do and what people call their first professional off season from, I mean, hopefully it's February, but it rarely is. Usually it's January through August. What do you do between your, your first year in the league and your second year in the league? Because now you are a paid professional. You have access to resources that you may just not have had in college. And your whole job is to get in better shape. It's to get work in and it's to get better at what you know you need to work on. So that offseason is already something I'm looking forward to with the secondary, but let alone, I mean, Bill, we've seen some bad secondaries in the or on the Bears like roster recently. And now We've got legitimate depth at outside corner. We've got legitimate depth with Dane Kirkshank at safety. We have two nickel corners, depending on what you think of Char- or Thomas Graham, who I actually think is a decent CB3 at this point. More good DBs is always better. The comparison that I was making with a friend of mine yesterday, Brandon Robinson, who I've brought on Windy City Grand Iron plenty of times, is it dawned on me, Bill, that the DB room is more like the offensive line than the defensive line is. The DB room succeeds and fails as a unit. The DB room can get completely blown open by one bad defender. Sure. When you have a Tashawn Gibson and a Kendall Vildor on the same unit, it really doesn't matter how good your center, in this case, that's Eddie Jackson, is. It's just unimportant because if your left tackle gets beat, then your center holding his block doesn't make a difference. And so... I'm excited to see that the bears are taking an early and often approach to defensive backs. I think you do need good defensive backs and now they're cheap, they're talented and they have the opportunity to grow together because just like offensive linemen, I think that the longer brisker Jackson Johnson, uh, whoever their nickel is that they go with, let's say it's Graham and Gordon play together, the better they're going to get at understanding where each other is, how they can assist each other, where they need help and how to make plays uh, that uh, that basically lift each other up and make that unit better than the sum of its parts. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I want to obviously focus on 2022, but I do think there's an interesting dynamic about this secondary in terms of the long term, And that is the fact that, You've got a lot invested in this secondary right right now. You've got two second round picks. You've got Eddie Jackson, who you've committed a lot of money to. Uh, I should say three second round picks. And you've got, you know, the potential nickel back there, Tavon Young, also an interesting player if he can stay on the field. Um, But here's where what's interesting is if Brisker and Gordon are as good as we hope they are, with Jackson already making a lot of money and Jalen Johnson going to need a contract prior to obviously Gordon and Brisker, they can't keep everyone. Right. And I think that's an interesting thing. Now, again, you're, you're going to have everyone here for a couple of years, but you, you can't keep everyone. Eddie Jackson is going to start getting older. There may be sure. a thing where Jalen Johnson and Eddie Jackson are let go. 
You know, yeah. Jalen just, you know, is it despite as good as he is, where Matt Eberflus is going to say, well, Kyler Gordon is it. We know we have it with Gordon. We're going to let Jalen Wonk get that potential high comp pick because he's that good of a player. It's an interesting dynamic because if the Bears do invest to keep this group together, they're going to end up in a Ryan Pace situation because we'll get to linebackers. Obviously, you know you need to pay Roquan Smith. You know that's going to be a $20 million a year player right there. If you invest in Johnson and Gordon, and, and I get, I know I'm, I'm projecting three years out here on Kyler Gordon and Jaquan Brisker. But if you invest in all these guys and keep these guys around and invest in Roquan Smith, you're going to have a Ryan Pace problem. Ryan Pace put together a great defense. Mm-hmm. You, you know, Ryan Pace screwed a lot of stuff up. But that defense, and sure, did he have input from John Fox early on? Did he have input from Fangio? Sure, it was a it was a group effort. But he drafted all the right guys. He had Kyle Fuller, and that was it. And everything else on that defense was brought in by Ryan Pace. Yep. But when you spent a little money on Danny Trevathan to get him, and obviously they spent money on Quinn, I know that was kind of the, the tail end of the defense being good. It wasn't the same unit anymore. But you pay you, you got to pay Eddie Jackson. You had to let Leonard Floyd walk because you didn't have enough money there. You had to let Adrian Amos walk. Khalil Mack, obviously, ton of money. So they didn't they, – they spent the resources they could to keep the defense together. They still couldn't keep the whole defense together. They didn't have enough left to spend on offense. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be a key here moving forward. I'm all for trying to, you know, the Eberflus is a defensive minded head coach. We oh, know yeah. that. So that's going to be an important aspect to him. It's not like he's going to just abandon his defense and then let them invest everything offensively. So that's going to be an interesting dynamic moving forward as to how Ryan Poles navigates this defense. Assuming they do sign Roquan Smith, I can't see any reason why they wouldn't at this point. I assume we're going to see that here at some point in mid to late August, that extension coming down. How he handles the secondary and how he develops this defense moving forward is going to be an interesting piece for this team. But in the short term, this is intriguing to see what these guys can do as second round players. I know Kyler Gordon, a lot of people had him as a first round grade. Hopefully he can step in. You know, if both these guys are good, this secondary, I do think will improve significantly. But again, we still, we still don't know. We need to see them on the field. Right. But I think the biggest thing that has me the most excited about this secondary is Truly for me, I think there's a chance to see a much better version of Eddie Jackson. Yep. I think besides quarterback play and and, and that that naggy kind of offense, that that I think in terms of specifics when you get to players, the most frustrating thing for Bears fans has been watching Eddie Jackson in the last couple of years. To the point where some Bears fans think he's bad. I think that's unfair. Right. I think, you know, some guys you brought up Brandon Robinson has done a good job highlighting what he's still doing well that may not result in pick sixes. But I think if Brisker, and I'm not trying to say he is Adrian Amos, but if he can play sure. a lot more of the Amos role in a defense of being in the right place at the right time and focus on tackling and covering the right people and give Eddie Jackson more freedom and more ability to play center field and do what he does, it could help out the second, even more than just filling holes. 
if we can elevate Eddie Jackson back to what we saw him once upon a time, it can elevate this defense that much further. Right. I mean, Eddie Jackson's a bad tackler. We don't need to pretend he's good. I don't need to pretend he's a sneaky good tackler. He can make the occasional tackle, but you really don't want Eddie Jackson to be your goalie, so to speak. You want him to be a ball hawk that can make plays of coverage. And to Sean Gibson, Putting it nicely, Bill, there were a bunch of or there were a bunch of times where I felt like Tashawn Gibson on the all 22 didn't. I mean, he would do nothing like he would stand in an area as if he was a Madden player it, running to his little zone. And then he would just sit still. He didn't necessarily adjust to anything that was happening. And it's not that I want to just tank on the guy. It's more that when I talk about DB rooms being like an offensive line, this is like your right guard consistently not blocking somebody or not picking up a stunt. It's going to make people look really, really bad. Like you're saying, I mean, in a recent interview, I think it was Taran Matthew, and I hope I'm not just making this up, but he was asked about some of the best players at some of the best positions. And he started rattling off safety types. He said, this guy's good at cover one. He said, this guy's good at cover two. He said the best cover four safety in the NFL, Eddie Jackson. And I get it. I mean, within shorter ranges, especially when he gets to play a that cover four role, which is this very specific, like forward and backwards box. It's hard to explain just like super fast. The people in the NFL still acknowledge him. Aaron Rodgers still isn't throwing at him. Eddie Jackson was the only defender that wasn't posterized by a Buccaneer in the Buccaneers game. Kirk Cousins is allergic to throwing at Eddie Jackson. Like you'll get the occasional throw where we had Joe Burrow loft one up to, uh, to Jamar chase who undercut the ball beautifully and walked it in for a touchdown with Kendall Vildor and Eddie Jackson literally colliding into each other. I get why fans are frustrated with Jackson. Like that tackle we saw against Devonte Adams where, you know, Bill, we we're just going to conveniently not mention that Jalen Johnson absolutely botched the coverage and let uh, Devonte Adams run free down the field. But you know, heaven forbid Eddie Jackson put his shoulder into Devonte Adams and Devonte Adams still step out of bounds, technically making it a successful tackle. I get it. I'm kind of the leader of Eddie Jackson's fan club, and I'm I'm willing to just accept that. But this is a very talented player that's on. He's a good lineman on a bad line. And it takes being Joe Thomas to be recognized as a good lineman on a bad line. Normally you're just considered a bad lineman. If you're on a bad line, you know what I mean? Sure. And so at this point going forward, I agree with you about the investment thing, by the way, I think that there's a lot of investment on defense and you know, I'm, I'm not even going to knock on wood bill because if the bears do draft in the top five and Justin Fields looks good, I'm going to tell you right now, they're drafting a defender. <laughs> like they're going to take Jalen Carter. They're going to take Will Anderson. They're going to take, a defensive lineman. So the investment problem is just going to look like it even compounds, but I think it's fair to say that you can look at this defense as a two and a half year project, right? They're clearly building the entire defensive unit for 2023 after 2023, maybe Jackson's time is done for any litany of reasons. You mentioned Jalen Johnson. You didn't talk about the most obvious he's got shoulder problems. And if they do rear their ugly head, it may not be feasible to keep him around or expect much from him. But we can look at the next two years, and I think that this is a position room to get excited about. So I'm I'm expecting some young growing pains. I have been vocal about the fact that the cover two defense is not normally the most DB, uh, like the DB featured defense. Actually, what they were running with Sean Desai, Vic Fangio, and the rest was a little bit more pro defensive back in terms of defensive backs making an impact. But Iberflus does enough disguising that I think having somebody like uh, 
somebody like Jackson, who, I mean, for crying out loud, Bill, I don't have the stat handy, but Eddie Jackson was probably top five in safeties making tackles behind the line of scrimmage last year, which is hilarious for a guy not known for tackling. So that's not something he should be doing between him and Brisker. You've obviously got two safeties that can play in the box and that's good because it means you can move them. So I think that I honestly think Brisker is probably the most important player in this defense because a great pair of safeties, I think lets a defensive coordinator just mess with people's minds, but, and I don't want to, you know, Bill, I don't want to sneak a peek at another position group. If the bears can't stop the run and they have to commit a safety to the box every time, it's going to pretty much annihilate a lot of their disguise capability. And that may really put the defense in a one-year hole. So we'll have to see. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, one other thing about this secondary is, you know, and, you know, some people have talked about it a little bit, but Chuck Pagano did not do this defense any favors. No, he turned out to be a poor hire. I think a lot of people thought it was going to be a positive hire. Didn't work out. It really felt like the defense was a going through the motions defense, not necessarily the players, but the, 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 the scheme and, and, the, and the game plan and, and the week to week preparation. It wasn't there. So then you move on to Sean Desai, and I think Sean Desai did a lot of positives, and the, the league, I mm-hmm. think, recognized a lot of the positives, positives Sean Desai did. The problem was by the time Sean Desai got there in terms of trying to put in what he wanted to do, the secondary had so many holes. Mm-hmm. Eddie Jackson, and like you talked about as an offensive line, they actually had two pretty good offensive linemen, in essence, in the secondary right. with Jackson and Johnson. But everyone else was so bad. Vildor could not stop anyone. Duke Shelley, in the, like, and you mentioned Gibson. The rest of those guys were so poor. They could, J- Johnson and Jackson could be as sticky or as dangerous as you want them to be. Aaron Rodgers, like you, you brought up, or any of the other quarterbacks who had half a brain, were just like, well, we're just going to pick on everyone else. There's and that's a play. Exactly- there's a play to your point in Green Bay's week four game where quiet or like Eddie Jackson watches a play that's supposed to victimize him, right? He's supposed to get drawn onto a deep corner route so that there's a seam route that opens up, or actually it's a post coming on the backside that basically if Jackson, I know you can watch me and the viewers can't, but if Jackson moved too far to his left, it opens up a hole that Roger's supposed to rifle the ball into Jackson recognizes the play as it's happening, shifts off of the corner and onto the post perfectly, which takes outrageous instincts and play recognition with a little bit of gambling attitude. And so Rogers checks the ball down. Deshaun Gibson is covering Aaron Jones. Deshaun Gibson doesn't cover Aaron Jones and gets lost in the play. And Aaron Jones runs for a touchdown 14 yards out. I mean, it's, it's a play that shouldn't happen. Like you can't have a check down with your safety on the running back, give up scores. And the bears right. did. Like, I mean, you mentioned the three DBs, but it's so core to recognize that defensive back is a team game. We we've been trying for years, Bill, I know you've done this too, to find any decent stats for any of these DBs. And it is so tough to put players in an individual context because if Jalen Johnson sticks in coverage, he doesn't get thrown at in most cases, like you can't look at past defenses because why would a quarterback throw it? Darrell Revis, they don't. And so there's so much eye test that when you try to take a look at what a defender does, especially in a DB room, that's poor, it's tough to evaluate. And this is not that 
We, we knew Duke Shelley was a sixth round pick. We knew that Kendall Vildor was, Hey, maybe he'd be a solid fifth round pick, but you know, why count on him at outside corner? This is a DB room that at least has a chance to succeed, you know? And yep. so that's, that's got me excited, especially with a little bit of veterancy and a guy like Tavon young, hopefully he comes back from injury. Well, and a little bit of, you know, potential spice and sizzle in Thomas Graham, who had a really solid couple of games last year when he's your depth corner, you feel pretty good. And so I'm, I'm with you. Like it was hard to watch last year. And I think a lot of what Desai did was really unique and helpful, but I'll keep my complaints to myself. This is a, this is a uh, defense that I think at least has enough investment at defensive back to not embarrass themselves. Yeah. I think that's the bottom line. I think as bears fans, and I think most bears fans do, I think you should feel the most comfortable with this position group. Sure. You can mention like running back or whatever, but the second, the importance of the secondary, and yes, yeah, sure, are there some unknowns? Yeah, we we understand that there are unknowns with rookies, but I feel pretty good about this. I, I think they have a lot to build on, and I think there could be a, a lot of positives uh, with this group moving forward. And like you said, I think it sets up really well for this group for 2023. Now, let, let's move on to the other position groups. Let's do the defensive line separate from the edge, and then we'll do, do the linebacker. So we'll do three more position groups here. Let's start with that interior defensive line because we have ripped up the playbook and starting from scratch here. Akeem Hicks now on Tampa. Eddie Goldman has found a new home with every with other the Bears. Former, with every other former <laughs> Chicago Bear. Ryan Pace has, has got a nice little shelter going there for, 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 for former players of his. But um, let, let's talk about this interior defensive line. I've seen a lot of people talking about, you know, whether it be local and national analysts, especially the guys that really focus on the, the, the trenches, saying the defensive line, the interior defensive line is more concerning than the offensive line. It's not for me, but I don't think you can sit there with knowing that, you know, Justin Jones and, and whether it's Blackson or Tongo, you know, whatever that group is. I know a lot of Bears fans like Edwards, but I can't sit there and be confident in this defensive line, the interior defensive line, really doing what they need to do to kind of hold the fork down to keep this defense, you know, in a solid position to make plays. So defense has changed. I have to start there, Bill. Back in 2000, I mean, honestly, we can go all the way back to 85, right? The Bears ran the like a four five. They ran like a five down front a lot. They had three interior defensive linemen and two edges. An edge hadn't changed like it has now at that point, right? We don't do that anymore. Instead, we get defenses more like 2018, which I'm sure you remember, Bill, because any former offensive lineman is going to notice the hogs up front. But that was a year where Akeem Hicks and Eddie Goldman might as well have been five people wide. I mean, those two people alone could stuff an entire run game by themselves, let alone the fact that Leonard Floyd and Khalil Mack were very good at holding the edge. The, the, the word of caution I've got here is that Eberflus's defense is set up to need those guys. I mean, there's a reason that they traded what they did for DeForest Buckner and got what they could. In this case, I believe it was Grover Stewart who sawed the Bears up in 2020's week yes, four did. game against, uh, against the Colts. Like, they had beef on the interior defensive line. And no matter how much I like Blackson, I do not like Justin Jones enough 
to say that this defense is ready to have two guys take on four. I mean, Justin Jones in his game against the Steelers, which is admittedly, it's the only one I've watched. If that was like the worst game of the season, then let me know on Twitter or something. And I can go take a look at more film, but Justin Jones is getting controlled by single guys and that Steelers offensive line. I mean, they weren't known for being good. Let's just put it that way, Bill. And so I don't think that that means that Justin Jones sucks. I mean, we don't need to live in a world of gray area. What I'm going to tell you is that I think that this, this defense needs engines up front. And these guys are, these guys are V force. Like the, the people that they have are not high quality engines. They let go of somebody in Akeem Hicks that I think would have probably helped them out if he could stay on the field. He's just not going to factor into the future plans. So again, kind of like offensive line, this reads to me, Bill, like the bears once they lost out on Ogajobi. Because obviously there's a reason they threw the money that they did at Ogunjobi, whether he failed his physical or not. They knew they needed more than this. They did not get more than this. They seemed comfortable with allowing this roster, this piece of the roster to be a problem. And that can be refreshing if we view it through that lens. But that takes the admission that these guys, if they are really good against the run, it's going to be a surprise. Yeah, and look, you 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 brought up, you know, I, I like the way you said it. Eddie Goldman and Akeem Hicks may as well have been five people wide. And I think that's the one thing that I think is really an interesting point about the Fangio and the subsequent defenses after that. We know up front it, it Khalil Mack and Akeem Hicks, that's those were the engines. That's what drove that 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 defensive front. But you know, that we know how special the 2018 defense was. The 2019 defense was still very good. Yes. Right. And then 2020 and 2021, it really fell apart. And it cannot be overstated to me that 2020, Eddie Goldman sat out and 2021, Eddie Goldman was bad. And 2019, Akeem got, Akeem got hurt. Like, yeah. It just fits your, it fits exactly what you're saying. You only had one of those two for like both years, 19 and 20. And then 2021, we got a shell of Eddie Goldman, which is neither here nor there. So the importance of those players was key, was so important to that, the success of that 2018 defense. I mean, the fact that Fangio could bring pressure to the quarterback without having to bring extra rushers. And, and sit back and, and have everything covered and let Eddie Jackson play center field. There was so, so much he could do because of what Goldman and Hicks did up front and, and, and not to mention Mac. Mm-hmm. So when you don't have that, it, it again, it's, it, it's the same thing on offense and it is on defense. It starts in the trenches and it works its way back. Right. And, and yeah, we know how important shutdown corners are and how important the secondary is in, in a pass happy league. But if you don't have the guys up front, it, it just doesn't matter. And I like Blackson and I think Blackson is probably going mm-hmm. to do better than, than a lot, a lot of bears fans expect, but I also don't have expectations that Angelo Blackson is going to replace the 2018 version of Eddie Goldman either. Right. That's, that's not who he is. Chris Tonga, like, you know, he made a couple plays and I think bears fans got excited about him. I don't see like Tonga's got bad pad level. A lot of times he really gets pushed back at the point of attack. Like, can he be a viable backup? Sure. But I don't think we should be expecting a lot out of Tonga and and Justin Jones. And and you said you just sat there and watched, watch tape and, and didn't love what you saw. 
what he's playing in Eberflus's defense at that three tech spot is so critical. And like you, you mentioned, bringing in Buckner is what really elevated that Colts defense because right. they had that wrecking ball and what, and when what he could disrupt from the three tech spot, Justin Jones, can he be a decent player in that? Sure. Was, was Ogan Joby really gonna, you know, be that guy for them if he was healthy, you know, obviously that's, that's neither We're here not. nor there at this point, but you can see that there was a focal point for Eberflus to get that pretty good three tech in there. Right. Does he have it in Jones? Probably not. And that certainly, because if that interior defense is getting pushed back and messing up Roquan Smith and not getting pressure and eventually giving quarterbacks four or five, six seconds to throw the football, eventually it doesn't matter how sticky Jalen or, or Kyler Gordon can be or, or whoever else it, it just it doesn't matter in the running game if Roquan is is great at, at, at anticipating if he's fighting through traffic because of what the defensive line is failing. I mean, Brian Urlacher brought it up has brought it up all the time when you listen to him do, him do interviews. He was great because of the bodies in front of him, right? Because of the fact that these guys would just eat blockers and let him do whatever mm-hmm. he needed to do on the defense. That's what the Bears need to do for Roquan Smith. And I don't know if they can do that for Roquan Smith this year. I'm not expecting Roquan Smith to be bad. I'm not talking about major regression. But for him to excel and maybe be Darius Leonard and and be that type of player in the Eberflus defense, he needs guys up front. And I don't know if he has those guys. I need to make it really clear, by the way, because I agree. I don't think they have these guys. The reason I'm critiquing Justin Jones, who's fast. I mean, if nothing else, he's going to create more interior pressure than some guys because he's quick. It just comes at the expense of the run game, which I think is his primary role. The modern three tech position bill is almost impossible. Like it's kind of like what we would consider that super tight end. It's just rare to find somebody that is 30 pounds lighter than most defensive tackles can still play the run game at the level of most defensive tackles and also can get after the quarterback. There's not many of them, right? Think Aaron Donald. That's sort of the player you're looking for. And there's only so many DeForest Buckners. There's only so many Akeem Hicks in his prime. There's only so many Aaron Donalds. Like they're just hard to find. And so The problem that I know I have is one of it's box count. I mean, it's really simple, right? That you talked about what's going to happen if Roquan Smith gets manhandled. What's going to happen if all these blockers get through, they're going to bring a safety in the box. They may bring a corner in the box. They're going to start dedicating defensive backs to buoying the run game, which takes away from the pass game, which means you're not running your scheme. You're running something to make up for a team deficiency. And suddenly maybe bears fans are going, what the F? I thought this cover two defense was supposed to rule against the pass. What are we doing here? Come on. What's going on? How are we giving up 300 yards to Aaron Rodgers? And it's like, well, we're playing with four guys in coverage because we've got seven guys in the box on every given down. We'll have to see because if the Bears can get that beef up front next year, we're probably going to see a ton more disguises. We're going to see a lot of coverage rotations. We're going to see the things, Bill, that make every fan in Chicago just electrize because we love good defense. But I'll tell you what, when your defense can't shut out the run game, you can't focus on the pass game. And when you can't focus on the pass game, a good passing team will beat you, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, you brought up the pass game, so let's slide from the inside to the outside. Let's look at this edge group. I think this is an interesting group here because obviously we know Robert Quinn coming off a <laughs> phenomenal year. 
but unbelievable. There's still, there's still a chance Robert Quinn isn't a part of this defense. I think he will be at this point, but you know, could he also be a trade deadline guy, assuming the Bears are struggling and someone's looking for an edge guy and Quinn still looks pretty good? I think it's inevitable that Quinn has pretty serious regression this year. That's not to say I think he's going to be bad, but if he plays a full season with the Bears, the, the expectation should be that he's a lot closer to 10 sacks than he is to 18. And that's 10 sacks is plenty. That's a, that that's fine. And I think Travis Gibson is another really interesting guy, especially if you look at his advanced stats, because they don't almost mesh perfectly because he was one of the most efficient pass rushers in the NFL in terms of success per opportunity. But at the same time, in terms of his sack rate compared to his, uh, his, his pass rushing win rate, his sack rate was much higher than it should have been. So you can sit there and say he, he took the mo- most advantage of his, of his chances, but he still had too much success according to the stats. Now right. I know some people want to throw those stats out the window, but you know, eventually everything, you know, regresses to the mean. And, and I think Gibson's interesting. Are we going to keep seeing development there? Or is, is Gibson going to, going to settle in into right. the, the kind of role where he was last year? You know, at the same time, you've got Muhammad who's going to, who knows, knows what Eberflus wants to do, knows the scheme is pretty good, but isn't, isn't a guy who's going to wow you. And I'll even throw in Dominique Robinson, who uh, I'll admit, I don't know a lot about, but I also know that every guy that does deep drives, deep dives in the draft, whether it be EJ Snyder or, or Daniel Jeremiah love that pick and love because the fact that there were so many because of the additional guys in the draft in terms of the, because of the pandemic and and the extra years, Dominique Robinson is a guy who probably would have been like a third round graded edge, but fell all the way into the fifth round because of the way the draft worked this year. I think the edge unit is one of these units that is one of those kind of, when you do best case, worst case kind of situation, is best case is a very competent unit, but worst case can have a lot of trouble putting pressure on the quarterback, which as, as we, we talked about there with the, with the defense, if you're not getting pressure on the quarterback and you're going to let even a guy, even the likes of a Jared Goff sit back there and not have pressure, a Goff is a guy who, if he doesn't have pressure, is going to be able to pick you apart. And that, you know, cousin, same thing. He's going to be able to pick you apart. And we know what Aaron Rodgers is going to do. And that's six games right there. They've got to be able to develop. They've got to be able to get pressure up front. If they got to do it internally and they got to do it from the outside and they have the potential to do it from the outside, but there's also question marks there as well. Oh yeah. I mean, the edge unit in particular might be one of the weirdest on the team, if only because I think it's a bit of a one man unit and I like Travis Gibson. I'm going to get there. I promise. But (laughs) Robert, Robert Quinn is the only really established edge rusher on the team. And I do think he's a major trade candidate. I mean, come on, Bill, his contract is cheap. It's fully movable. Nothing guaranteed about it. He's a 33-year-old on a team that, as we've said a couple of times, is rebuilding the house. He's a speed rusher, meaning that he can work on any team in football because you just stick him on the edge and let him do what he does. He seems to me like Ryan Poles' most obvious I or like uh his obvious attempt at recreating the Von Miller deal and kind of the Khalil Mack deal, but mostly the Von Miller deal. There's Every single team needs a pass rusher by week 10. 
right? I can't remember what the trade deadline is, but every single team that's competing wants that extra juice as or at pass rush. And Quinn made a lot of sense going all the way back to the draft. Hang on to him. He's going to have value at the deadline as long as you stunt him a couple of times and get him five technical sacks. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, absolutely. It, the problem is that if you trade him, I, I like Al-Kadeen Muhammad, but he's a run stopper at, at edge, which is not exciting. He, uh, Travis Gibson is a, probably an edge too, but you could even consider him a rotational edge rusher if you wanted to purely because Bill, would you believe me if I told you edge has a pedigree problem? If you took a look at the top 15, um, like edge rushers in the NFL in terms of sack count, 12 of them are first round picks. I mean, edge is a position that freaks excel at. And as much as we'd love to pretend that's not the case, every single team has a Khalil Mack, a Miles Garrett, a Nick Bosa, a Joey Bosa, a TJ Watt. I mean, you could keep going. There's Chandler Jones. There's all sorts of first round talent just across the board. And the Bears have a fifth rounder that is a really good pick for a fifth rounder, (laughs) but pedigree is a problem when you're talking about these six, eight behemoths that can also move lightning quick at 250 pounds. So I don't know. I mean, I think that the bears edge rusher position is in as good a spot as you could hope for. Travis Gibson is a massive overperformer. And I don't know if you know this, Dominique Robinson is a converted wide receiver. So part of the reason that he was so low is because he played at Miami, Ohio. So he was not super well-known, right? And he's also new at the position. He projects as a speed rusher, which the Bears would be backfilling. But if you're going to ask your future edge rush position to be a backup run stuffer and two fifth round picks, I'm going to say you're underinvesting at a position <laughs> that is expensive for a reason. So I'm not down on the, on the room. It's 2022. It's not 2023 yet. We'll have to see what they decide they're going to run with in the future. But right now, the unit goes as Quinn goes. And if Quinn regresses, which is likely, the unit gets worse. If Quinn gets traded, the unit gets bad. Because now, Travis Gibson's your only real threat at edge rush. And everything else is hopes and dreams. And I like hopes and dreams. I subsisted off of hopes and dreams when I was 15 years old. But (laughs) I I can't anymore. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, you're talking about Robert Quinn as a trade candidate. And look, and I agree. And look, there may be part now i understand that we're looking at 2023 but at the same time there has to be some level of competency in in these units and you know if if someone came in and and offered the bears a second round pick for robert quinn he'd be gone uh, i'm not pretending that that's not the case but it may have been that they had a couple pretty good offers and sat there and said like you said if we don't have quinn if we're rolling out muhammad and gibson uh, and our, and our third edge is, is, is Robinson, uh, an unproven rookie. We are going to have serious problems at that position group. You know, it could be, let's see how Gibson looks. Let's see how Muhammad's let's kind of see how this group's doing sans Quinn to see how viable it is to move him. Because I mean, that contract, like you said, there's zero guaranteed dollars left. I think it's about 12 million a year for three years which if you can get a 10 plus sack guy at that rate and knowing that you can cut him anytime you want and not have to pay him a nickel, that is such a friendly contract for the acquiring team. 
I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that you can get a third round pick for Robert Quinn because of the value of the contract and the value of the edge position and the value that Quinn showed last year about being able to get to the quarterback. Now, yep. if you also look at Robert Quinn, he's an every other year guy. It seems, I don't know why that's the case, but either. it's, it's been a pattern for a decade. Does that mean he's going to go down to seven sacks this year, six sacks this year? It might. We don't want to see the Robert Quinn from from 2020. Yeah, from 2020 return. I know he was dealing with a foot problem and you know there was some you know, usage issues and stuff, but you know, that's always possible with him. So I think this unit is interesting. I think it can be pretty good, but it certainly is a question mark. And when you say, let's assume we're in the nickel with four of these guys up front, two interior and two exterior, and that they need to put pressure on the quarterback as a group there have to be significant concerns when you combine the edge and the interior defensive line that they're going to be able to do that, especially when you consider that with a much stronger defensive line with the likes of, of, of DeForest Buckner, Eber Flus's defenses when in Indianapolis were still never to generate pressure. <laughs> they weren't generating a lot of pressure. So when you have less talent, what does that mean? You're going to generate more bill. You don't get how it works in Chicago. Uh, all that to say, Bill, I mean, you, you keep mentioning, I keep agreeing with you until you say words like concerned. I'm not concerned. If the Bears are two and five, one and six at the deadline and they deal Quinn, good. Now it's easier to finish the season on one of the extremes because I think we can all agree. Look, we're not all, I, I'm not expecting all Bears fans to be truly Super Bowl or bust, but Bill, we talked about how excited I am at the DB room. If the DB room, let's say they congeal around week nine, right? But the edge unit is so bad as with the defensive line because they traded Robert Quinn. Travis Gibson's doing what he can, but Dominique Robinson looks like a rookie and Al-Qadim Muhammad is not getting anything, right? Okay, now the Bears lose nine more games and they end up the season three and uh, three and 14. To some Bears fans, that might be crippling. Wow, how did Matt Eberflus lose more games than Matt freaking Nagy, the worst coach I've ever seen in my freaking life? Like we're gonna, we'd see it all. Right. But at least they would finish so low that it would benefit the team more going forward. And that has nothing to do with the offense. Bill, there's a real case that the defensive line and the defensive line alone, which is just a matter of investment. We've talked about this. The whole thing's cheap. Once you take Quinn out, like hilariously cheap, that would give the bears a shot at adding a premier defensive lineman, which would be awesome. And then if you picked up one more in free agency, you might turn a weakness into a strength partially because you made the decisions you made. I, I understand this is sort of an upside down way to look at a football team. I am not pro tank and I am a bears fan. I do want them to win. I promise. But 2022 is such a weird year that I'm okay with the front office displaying a little bit of foresight because I don't know about you, Bill, but when Matt Nagy's team like, limp their way into the playoffs in 2020 that, that did nothing for me. I don't need to be a seven seed. Like I want this team to build, to be a three seed, a two seed, a one seed. And I don't think that fretting over little losses in 2020 or 2022 is worthwhile since this isn't a season that Ryan Poles even seems to care about. And that's okay with me. It's just a matter of saying, Hey, you know what? If we can get Quinson production, we can trade him for a future piece. He can go to a place that he wants to be at a little bit more. And then we could develop our young guys. Yeah. You know, I, I I'm, I'm right there with you. Um, I, I think you have to look ahead 
We yeah, talked about it at every position group, how much you can almost tell it's let's see if we can get a competent piece in here, but let's all, you know, for a year contract two year contract where there's not a lot of commitment where we can develop youth and look, look to the future. So with that, let's jump over to the linebacking group. Oh, I have one question before you, before we go to linebackers. Sure. If you were Ryan Poles, would you look to extend Travis Gibson early? Because you have a hundred to 122 or $120 million to play with. And if he's too successful, he's going to get very expensive. So if you maybe halfway through the season, Gibson's looking solid, would you consider trying to lock him in for $13 million a year or something like that below market, but a lot more than fifth round picks normally get. Uh, I'd consider it. I think a lot of it kind of is you got to kind of look at exactly where the team is and, you know, is Robinson been a no show is, is Gibson clearly a guy that you need to cling to. Um, I, I think that, I think there's some questions there. I think it's definitely something to consider. Um, but I also think, um, you know, again, when you look at defensive investment, mm-hmm. you know, you have to, you have to be careful about it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think the linebacking group, you know, as we, we kind of get towards uh, wrapping up the defense here, least interesting group in terms of a, a, <laughs> a position group. I don't think, you know, I kind of look at it. It's kind of like the, the, the running back room. You got Roquan Smith. Now Roquan Smith for what he is as a linebacker is much better than David Montgomery is in terms of a, a running back Roquan Smith. I, I like that. He got some recognition when, when ESPN did the, the linebacking groups and he was fourth or fifth, whatever he was. I think that's great that he's finally getting that recognition because we sit there as bears fans and hope he's going to get the pro bowl nods and the all pro, you know, AP, you know, first team, all pro stuff. And it hasn't really been coming for him. And it's been frustrating from Bears fans going, why aren't they recognizing Roquan Smith? And it's largely because the defense as a unit has been so bad around him. But he is a guy, look, I'll sit there and, you know, I can nitpick and say it's elite, it's a lesser important position on the defense than edge and secondary and some of those spots. So investing 20 million in it is you know, not exactly where you want to jump off to, but at the same time, he's an elite player at his position. That's the going rate at five years, hundred million. I would expect that coming here in, in, in about a month, six weeks tops, you got to keep him around. But in terms of the, the, the rest of the group, Nick Morrow, he's fine, pretty good in coverage. And the one thing that's scary about this linebacker group is, and again, I'm not focused on injury, but if Roquan Smith misses half the season, the replacement level for him and what that linebacking group becomes is, is really not good. <laughs> right. And I have to mention this by the way. So first of all, the linebacking group is so weird because I don't think, I don't think Roquan Smith is what anybody would consider a run stuffer. And he's 20 pounds heavier than Nick Morrow, who is coming off of a season, a season missing ankle injury that he suffered in training camp and then missed the whole 2021 season. So obviously the linebackers are going to be relatively small, but they should be good in pass coverage. At least we can hope so. Right. But man, you talk about the linebackers bill and I keep getting distracted by the whole Roquan extension conversation, which is a given by the way, but I have to tell this story. So Eric Kendricks Vikings linebacker. I think we would both agree. He's a very good linebacker, right? 
Oh, of course. Yeah. Right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. In 2018, because he was a UDFA, he signed a fat extension. He signed an extension that gave him 10, 11 and 12 million dollars in 2021, 2022 and 2023. And that sounds really different than what Roquan Smith would be going for. Right. What changed? The Seahawks broke the market and gave Bobby Wagner 16 million dollars out of nowhere, jacked the price of linebackers up. And suddenly then Fred Warner, who got his famous $19 million year deal has the linebacking price tag, in my opinion, out of control. Now, does that mean that the bears are at any point in extent or in a situation where they're not going to extend Roquan? No, the bears have bank robber money in cap space right now. So obviously they're going to, they're going to extend what is likely to be a cornerstone of the Eberflus defense, but man, Bill, that piece of this conversation, I cannot get away from because Kendricks is still a very good linebacker. He's going to turn, I think 29, no 30 this next year. So he's not old and his contract is so archaic in terms of what he's getting paid. It's just, I cannot, I I just want the Roquan extension to happen so that I can see the number and I can live with it because linebackers right now are just crazy expensive. Yeah, no, and that's the thing. Like you, you can't sit there. Like the the only thing, and I think you 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 may have mentioned it and probably didn't get the warmest reception on Twitter about some kind of DK Metcalf Roquan Smith swap. Shh. If yes. something like that happened, I know Bears fans, some Bears fans would be really upset. I know they'd be excited at the prospect of bringing in someone like DK. I that That's the only thing I can see where Roquan isn't on this team. He's too good at his position, but I agree. You sit there and go, I'm investing $20 million in a linebacker. You sit there and go, sit there. And again, I'm, I brought up Roquan earlier because I'm talking about the defensive investment. You said if they have a top five pick, they're very good chance of bringing in some kind of edge defensive lineman next year. And you've got Roquan and you've got Jalen and you've got these second round picks with Brisker and Gordon. You want to keep them all together, but you need to leave money to invest on the offensive side of the ball because it would certainly look with, like you called it bank robber money, that the offense is going to be, there's going to be a big free agent spend offensively next off season. But then if you do that spend, then you don't have the money on the defense. It, it, it's a tricky balance. I know every good team, and that's obviously what we hope the Bears are in a couple of years, has that issue with trying to, unless you're the Rams, who somehow keep spending and spending and spending and never run we'll out of money. figure it out one day. <laughs> but besides that, teams have a tough job with that balance. And right now, you're looking at what Ryan Pace had in terms of a very unbalanced spend from defense to offense. It's trending that way right now. I'm not saying we have to let Roquan walk so we can have better balance spending. That's not what I'm saying. Yeah, nobody's you've saying pay, that. You've got to pay the guys who, who you need to pay and, and make adjustments as you, as you move forward. But it's just something to keep in mind as this team hopefully develops and gets good is about how you're going to allocate the resources. Cause you don't want to spend a ton of money on first and second round picks and let them all walk. Cause you don't have any money because you nope. invested on the other side of the ball. It's a tricky thing. You have to extend Roquan. I would not be upset though, if they brought in an elite wide receiver that they had to pay a few more million per year than they did Roquan and, and see that allocation differently. But assuming that doesn't happen, you know, you extend them again. I assume it's five years, a hundred million with whatever amount, 50, 60 million guaranteed. That's what we're looking at. That's what the market value is. 
we're going to see the cap go up a lot in the next couple of years. And hopefully that's enough to, to soften the, the blow of that contract. Hey, I don't want to make you throw up bill, but the bears already do have a $20 million receiver on their roster. He's just going to get his extension next year. Yeah. So like Darnell Mooney's about to get a paid, but the, the number one thing that I, I look at when I see this linebacker room, you told me I'm not allowed to talk about injuries. I'm going to do it anyways. Uh, the Bears have two linebackers and pretty much no depth. So they are one Roquan Smith or Nick Morrow injury away from Brian Dawkins or Noah Dawkins or Caleb Johnson. Doubt that. Uh, Christian Albright. Are you a big CJ Avery fan? Because I don't know much about him or Jack Sanborn. Like, I mean, I don't want to sound silly here, right? But depth is an issue at linebacker. And again, this doesn't have to be a bad thing. If you're okay with admitting that the 2022 season is a year of a team under construction, because it may mean a young guy gets a chance. We didn't know Nick Krakowski had figured out how to cover people until he got a chance to start in his fourth year and showed it to us in the preseason. He didn't even look that good. Right. I mean, Thomas Graham, similar situation started because he had to and looked dramatically better than we'd seen in the fourth quarter of real preseason games. But this linebacking group, I mean, it's it's intriguing for sure. Nick Morrow is good in pass coverage. Roquan Smith is elite in pass coverage. I just going back to the defensive line piece, if they end up having to take more of a run support role, I don't think this fits either player particularly well. And that's okay. Cause we're not done. We're still under construction, but bill you've done a great job of keeping us focused on the fact that we do have to talk about 17 real football games that the Chicago bears are not going to forfeit. So they're going to play them one way or another. <laughs> and if they do play them as they have it right now, they have to run a different plan than I think the plan that they wanted to run in Indianapolis. And they may throw that plan away after a year, but we still have to watch every single game and talk about the coaching staff as it happens. Right. Yep, absolutely. All right. So I kind of do final thoughts here on the defense. If you want to do full team up to you, but like, I, again, I sit here, don't want to just kind of reiterate everything we've said, but again, this is a work in progress. This is a build for 2023. And we're looking at a defensive side of the ball. Again, if you want to look at things going well, Brisker and Gordon, you know, again, relatively healthy Brisker and Gordon, do what we hope they can do. The secondary is solidified. Eddie Jackson returns to the form we saw, or at least closer to it. Roquan continues. Morrow's a nice addition. Robert Quinn looks good up front. You start saying all those things. Justin Jones is okay. Blackson is okay. Suddenly the defensive unit really comes together and can be a top half unit in the league for sure. Maybe even push top 10 in the league. But if some of these things, if the defensive upfront isn't isn't creating pressure, isn't stopping the run game, forcing guys out of their comfort zones again into helping and doing other things, the defense can fall apart quickly. So I, I think, you know, when we look at this team overall, we're looking at the offensive line and defensive line and looking at the trenches and going the biggest concern about this unit uh, as a whole, this team as a whole is not. You know, the secondary is not Justin Fields, is not the running backs or even the receivers or any of this stuff. It's the fact that when you look at both sides of the ball and say, what is the weakest point at both sides of the ball? In both cases, you're in the trenches. Yep, absolutely. And I mean, 
I could go on a whole diatribe here, Bill, about how I've never seen a team keep all 11 starters healthy for the whole season. So who's going to get hurt and how much will that make a difference? But let's just leave that like for another show. The big thing when I look at this team is I want to know how, how far Ryan Poles will go to make his points. Right. I think he's been as clear as a GM can that 2022 is a rebuilding year. It's a year under construction. It's all the different euphemisms I've said over the last multiple hours. Right. But there is a point where you ask yourself, okay, right now they have a stud safety. They have two, like another stud safety prospect, a stud corner prospect, a stud linebacker that needs to get paid an edge rusher that probably needs to get paid a wide receiver that needs to get paid a corner that needs to get paid. There's only so much money bill. And so he, I can almost guarantee you Ryan Poles isn't going to actually go into next year with a hundred million dollars in cap space. That's too much to spend in one free agency period. Extensions are going to get given out. Who's going to get them. What are they going to do? Are people going to get traded? Is this the kind of year where we get shocked with, I don't know, an Eddie Jackson trade. I've sat there talking up enough, like forget Roquan Smith. Like, do we see a Cole Komet trade? Do we see like, do we see Darnell Mooney get moved? Probably not. Right. But like, if things are as up in the air as we keep saying they are, and I believe they are where Ryan Poles has his vision. He knows who is and who isn't part of the long-term view. And he obviously hasn't told us what's he going to do to shape this team for 2023. I'm dying to know because the, if they lose a bunch of games, they have options. If they win a bunch of games, they have options. The bears have done a lot to set themselves up really well, but it's still going to be a weird ride because I feel like this team can't develop together. It's a bunch of individuals that we're hoping develop. Right. And within that it's pieces like Cody Whitehair. That's like a dead man walking for crying out loud. And that's just strange to look at on your team where instead of having say a one-year mercenary, it's more like a very obviously old regime person that's not going to be in the future plan. And that decisions, it would have been made, but there was nobody better. It's almost like what they're looking at. So we'll see this 2022 year is super strange. And honestly, Bill, if I was going to summarize it really succinctly, I'd say this is the debt year that the Bears are paying because they didn't fire Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy on time in 2020. 100%. 100%. Because because they left or because they let the organization build up some rot, they have to take a year to clean that rot out, which sucks for the fans. But for Ryan Poles, I don't get the impression that he is under the illusion that 2022 is going to be a competitive year. So how Joe Douglas with the jets, is he going to get how, like how willing is he to upset the fans? How, where's he going to go? I'm dying to know because there's a lot to like at the individual positions, the team in general, it's going to take one domino for the house of cards to potentially fall. And that's okay. Yep. And, and that's what you're, and, and just one thing I want to add based on what you were talking about, about, you know, could we see shocking trades or moves? One thing, keep in mind, new regime wants their own players. Justin Fields aside, that's a different case. You know, they're going to, obviously if Fields is the guy, they're going to run with Justin Fields, even though that's a Ryan Pace draft pick. But other than that, keep in mind, Ryan Pace, when the dust settled and he had the team he wanted, 
he had five guys from Phil Emery and two of them were on special teams with yep. McManus and O'Donnell. He kept long, he kept Leno and he kept fuller and he brought in a brand new roster. And we've already seen a huge turnover on the roster already from Ryan Poles. And a lot of the guys that are still sticking are just sticking because of their contracts and rookie deals and, and things like that. You know, a lot of Bears fans want to sit there and say, well, Tevin Jenkins is going to be around and David Montgomery is going to be around and Darnell Mooney and Cole Komet are going to be around. Not necessarily. Again, I think Mooney's probably going to stick around, but again, these are guys that a different regime brought in. And if you have, you know, two guys at the same position, Ty goes to the the guy that Ryan Poles brought in. That's the way it's going to be. So there are going to be players that you like, that you expect to be part of this team for the next two, three, four, five years. And they're gone at the earliest convenience. And it's going to be surprising. It's, it's going to be weird. I mean, you brought up Roquan Smith just to use that as an example. Ryan Pace had to extend him. Ryan Poles does not have to extend. That's a big difference. He probably will, but he doesn't have to extend what would have been Ryan Pace's only first round pick that stuck with his team through the fifth year option. Like that would have been a force extension. Roquan's not in the same boat. So, So what happens, right? Like do the bears look at this and say, like you said, Bill, we can't be a team that invests 65% of our cap on defense. We're already paying Eddie Jackson. We're going to extend Jalen Johnson. We can't pay everybody. And if we're going to bring in the best defensive tackle that we could see on the market, we're just going to need to let somebody go. Who's it going to be like, maybe that's a decision they make. Maybe Matt Eberflus says, if you get me a defense comprised of 80% of our cap, I will never lose ever again. <laughs> and, and then they just go in that direction. I, we can't, we can't say, I mean, we, t- we talked about how many question marks there are on this team. They are loaded up and down, up and down the staff. The number one thing I think I'm most excited about to, to just make a comment about the defense, the whole defensive staff came over from the Colts. So we know that in a wide world of NFL and languages and terminology, they are speaking the same language. And I think that's really valuable for a lot of the defenders that are on the roster. We're just going to need to see what happens because like you said, Bill, I think to get to paint an example, if the bears do come out, they prove me and you wrong. They beat the Niners. They win the first four games of their schedule. They go one and two over the next three games of their schedule. They're five and two after seven games. They're keeping Quinn. You know what I mean? Sure. If the inverse happens, they're two and five. I think they're trading Quinn. Yeah. And I think, I think every single win and loss is going to further one sort of course of action. And until the games get played, and this or that doesn't happen. We just can't, we can't even speculate. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So there, there, there you go. Bears fans, two plus hours of analysis on both the offensive and Woo! defensive side of the ball. And Robert and I are both saying, we don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's going to do it. Robert. Thanks so much for so much time. Again, if you didn't check out part one on the offense, go uh, on the windy city gridiron podcast page and check that out. Uh, the podcast will be amping up throughout August as training camp and preseason get going. And obviously we'll have that full run of podcasts all throughout the football season for you, Robert. Thanks so much for so much time. Of course. I cannot wait to see what happens on offensive line for better or for worse is Tevin Jenkins going to play like, I don't know. (laughs) So it'll be, it'll be fun. All right. There he is. Robert Schmitz. That 
That is how you break down the defense, ladies and gentlemen. That was a great job by Robert. I want to thank him again for so much time. That was a massive, massive episode. Massive two episodes. Ended up being a lot longer than I expected. A lot to go through. A lot of interesting information. A lot of interesting conversation. Because what is this Chicago Bears team? And I mentioned it there with Robert. Vegas. I've talked to people in Vegas. They don't know what to make of this team. Because they don't expect this team to be good. But the schedule opens up the door for them to get wins because there are so many bad teams on this schedule. The Bears should win more games than they really should. So can this team get up to six, seven wins? Vegas doesn't know because they also don't know how good is Justin Fields. Because if Justin Fields is good, even if the rest of the roster is bad, they're also going to win a couple games. And because of Matt Nagy's offense and all the problems that had, I don't think Vegas really knows what Justin Fields is. Brand new regime. I don't think Vegas knows a lot about this team. They don't expect it to be good, but they have a real hard time comparing it to the Falcons and the Texans and the Jaguars and and, and those type of teams that are very beatable for the Chicago Bears. So this is going to be a really interesting season. I think Robert and I are completely on the same page. This isn't about 2022. This is about 2023 and beyond. Am I one? I can't sit there and cheer against the Bears. Never, ever, 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 ever can I. If there was ever a situation where an Andrew Luck, Peyton Manning, John Elway type was sitting with the number one pick of the draft and going into week 18, the Bears were tied with the Jets or the Jaguars for the worst record, and they needed to lose that game to secure the number one pick, yeah, you're damn right, I'm going to hope the Bears lose that game. But other than that, I can never, even if it benefits the franchise, I can never cheer. I can't sit down and watch a game and get pissed that Justin Fields hits Darnell Mooney on a, on a 55 you know, seam, 55-yard seam route for a touchdown. I, I can't get mad at that. That's exciting. That's fun. That's 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 me. So I'm not going to cheer against this team and hope they go three and 14 and get the, the second pick in the draft. I can't do that. I can certainly sit there and say that's beneficial for what Ryan Poles is trying to do because Ryan Poles is looking past this season. This is a season for Ryan Poles to evaluate who's left on the roster from Ryan Pace and who he really wants to start committing to and look at the guys he's brought in, whether they be free agents or the rookies, and see which one of those pieces he can start looking as building blocks for the future. So this is a let's see what we have kind of a year for Ryan Poles. This is not a season where the Bears are going to try and win a lot of games. I'm not saying Matt Eberflus is going to is potentially trying to lose games. I'm saying they did not build a roster intended to win in 2022. Can't do that because of what Ryan Pace did the last couple years, trying to squeeze out wins on a roster that wasn't good enough. So this is, you know, as as Robert said, this is kind of a reset year so they can go back at it in 2023. Unfortunately, that means Justin Fields is already going to be on year three of his rookie deal. That only gives them three years before Fields gets the huge payday bump, assuming he's the guy. So they've limited the window. So it really looks to me that Ryan Poles is setting everything up so that 2023, even if the Bears are bad this year, and I mean bad, that they can make huge strides and be a playoff team, a Super Bowl contending team if Fields is good enough in 2023. So again, this is going to be an interesting season, but it is not going to be one where Bears fans should be expecting playoffs and wins. And I see a lot of positivity on Bears Twitter. I love the positivity on Bears Twitter, but I do think it's quite unrealistic. So we'll be back 
uh, throughout August with podcasts and discussing the preseason and the developments and obviously the weekly podcasts throughout the Bears season. Make sure you go to the Whitney City Gridiron podcast page. Tons of great content there. Uh, Jeff Burks has been putting together a lot, a lot of great content uh, all offseason long. And you can certainly expect that the other great podcasts will all be there as well. That's going to do it for Bears Banter. Bear down, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. Adios. Adios.